What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Coming up in the Science Revolution, I take an in-depth look at when is fear an option to motivate people to care about climate change and the planet? I want to talk about climate change. And I guess the principal question that I want to ask and get your thoughts and opinions on and share mine is how appropriate is it to use fear as a tool to motivate people, and when does that become appropriate? Generally speaking, we talk about, you know, let's just be nice, and let's motivate people by lifting them up and building them up and saying nice things and all that kind of stuff. You know, the carrot side of the strategy, rewarding people for good behavior. So if we fix climate change, we can have a planet where fewer people die of cancer because thousands of people every year in the United States die of cancer because of exhaust coming out of the back of cars and trucks, you know, soot and all these chemicals that are filling our air and our water as a result of burning fossil fuels. So that's the carrot side of it. But the stick side of it is substantial and it's getting bigger and bigger and scarier and scarier. In fact, one politician has now just come out with a four minute long, basically kind of a web ad. I don't think it's running on television. And it has in it a little mini-drama, this dystopian narrative where this family is living underground in Colorado because you can't go outside anymore. We're not exactly sure why you can't go outside, except it's insanely hot out there. Apparently that's why, but it's, you know, it's clearly the consequence of climate change or maybe of a war that was produced as a consequence of the breakdown of civilization coming about because of climate change. And this dark, kind of frightening ad has a whole bunch of people just sitting up and paying attention and saying, whoa, it's Andrew Romanoff who's running for an opportunity to challenge Republican, Colorado Republicans, U.S. Senator Cory Gardner in the election coming up this November. And he's running in the Democratic primary, Andrew Romanoff is. And he's a former state legislator. And his platform is to ban fracking, to switch to renewables, to meet all electrical needs by 2035. That's, you know, within 15 years. To raise the minimum wage, he supports Medicare for all. Cory Gardner, the Republican, has called the ad insane. But is it insane? I mean, you know, these are, I think, reasonable and serious questions. And in fact, something that we're learning about tipping points right now is even more startling. It was only 20 years ago that the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, just 20 years ago, that they rolled out the concept of tipping points, that they talked about how there are these events, these moments, where a new equilibrium is established, essentially, where a system, 
in this case, the weather of the planet or the climate of the planet, is pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed, sort of like pushing a, uh, a snowball up over the top of your roof. And it's pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed until it hits the top of that roof. And then it tips over the other edge and boom, down it rolls the other side. And basically at that point, once that tipping point has been achieved, you're not going to stop that snowball from going down the other side. Or basketball or whatever. I mean, pick your metaphor of choice. And the assumption 20 years ago from the IPCC was that major irreversible tipping points, like melting the methane in the world's permafrost. There's more carbon trapped, in, principally in the form of methane, trapped or potentially methane, uh, you know, what becomes methane as a consequence of bacterial action, trapped in the world's permafrost than there is in the planet's atmosphere. So, I mean, we could be looking at a doubling of carbon levels in the atmosphere which hasn't happened since the great dying 250 million years ago when you know 98% of all life on earth was wiped out and we entered a period of tens of millions of years where basically everything was dead. Life rebooted itself and out of that came whole new life forms that ended up as the dinosaurs. Well, actually, the dinosaurs came about as a result of the second extinction after that, but in any case, so back when the IPCC laid this out, they said that this would happen when we started hitting five or six degrees Celsius of climate change. Well, now we're learning, 20 years later, that these tipping points are being hit at one to two degrees Celsius. And this is how logarithmic this is, how rapidly things change as a consequence of hitting tipping points. For example, multi-meter rises in sea level. The sea level rising to the point where it wipes out most all of our coastal cities all around the world and renders perhaps even the majority of the world's population climate refugees. This would be a civilization-destroying event. And we thought that this would take five or six degrees Fahrenheit. Turns out at one and a half degrees Fahrenheit, and we're pretty much there right now. We're at 1.2 degrees Celsius. And, you know, another three-tenths of a degree is certainly baked into the cake already with all the carbon we've put in the atmosphere. At 1.5 degrees Celsius, that event could take 10,000 years to happen. But at 2 degrees Celsius, just a half a degree warmer, it takes less than 1,000 years. Now, the question is, at, what, 2.3 degrees? It takes 50 years, 100 years, 300 years? You know, nobody knows for sure. But what we do know is that these tipping points are getting closer and closer and closer and more and more and more worrisome. And something that we just very, very much clearly, emphatically, definitely need to be paying attention to this stuff. And we're by and large not. The COP25, the climate meeting that they just had in Madrid, essentially collapsed because Donald Trump wouldn't send anybody from the United States, and we're supposed to be leading the world in this effort. Australia has been, their political system has been hijacked by Rupert Murdoch and this billionaire mining magnate who basically run the conservative parties in Australia, so they said no. 
Jair Bolsonaro in Brazil, where the rainforests are, the lungs of the planet, he's like, no. And Saudi Arabia, which you know, produces nothing but fossil fuels. A bizarre dictatorship where they recently crucified somebody. I mean, they, they torture people. They, you know, women have no rights. But it's a petro-state. And they said no. And collectively, th these are endangering the planet. Anyhow, this is this ad that Andrew Romanoff is running in Colorado. And he's running in the Democratic primary to be the Democrat who takes on Cory Gardner, the Republican who is representing Colorado right now and who is a climate change denier. And God bless him. The scene, they're underground and it's a husband, wife, and a little girl, maybe 10 years old, and he's reaching up through a hole in the top of the cave or whatever it is that they're in, you know, trying to get something out of the, the air, and a little bit of sunlight comes in, and here it is. Temperature today is 127 degrees Fahrenheit. The air quality index is at 420. This place makes me sad chance of large-scale tornadoes. It makes mommy sad. Mommy says baby brother will be born soon, but that it's not safe for him or for me. Anybody out there? Not go outside. Mommy and daddy fight a lot, but they say it's not my fault. crisis that condemns our children to an ever hotter planet their only home ravaged by storms at least three dozen tornadoes reported the record-breaking storm floods area for the uninhabitable for months droughts and heat waves high temperature records broken by the hundreds this is as bad as i've ever saw wildfires nine people are confirmed dead in northern california disasters that force millions of families to flee we have a choice, a once or perhaps a last in a lifetime chance to rescue the world we know and the hopes of billions not yet born. You didn't hear a lot of specifics on climate change from the debate because they think that it's too complicated an issue. We can squander that chance on business as usual, allow corporate cash to cloud our judgment. We sat down with the executives from Halliburton. They have a really a benign frack fluid so you can drink it. Sell public offices to the highest bidder. We have ended Tired politicians tell us to lower our sights. The Green New Deal, it's a radical move toward a socialist energy and economic policy. To curb our ambitions, to settle for the status quo. So we're here asking you to vote yes on the Green New Deal. That resolution will not pass the Senate. They badly underestimate the urgency of this moment and the power of our persistence. We can choose a different path, demand respect for humanity, for all creation, dare a new generation to dream again. Our house is on fire and we should get angry. 
This is not just a native issue. This is about humanity. This is a movement driven by our nation's true leaders. Science should not be partisan. We're running out of time, so we're just going to lead the charge here. Climate change is one of the most urgent matters of our generation. A people unfettered by fear. The eyes of all future generations are upon you. Those who say it cannot be done should not interrupt those who are already doing it. This ad has just produced so much response. Sean King says this may be the most powerful campaign ad of 2019. Climate activist Anna Jane Joyner says the most powerful political ad I've ever seen. People are praising. I'm praising. It's an amazing thing. So what are these tipping points that we're looking at that we don't talk about generally? but that I think we should. The whole thing of speaking of danger is not inappropriate. If somebody is running into traffic, you warn them. You say, look out, you'll get hit. So here are the nine principal tipping points, any one of which could start a chain, a cascading chain reaction that will trigger others of among those nine. And the first is the Arctic sea ice. And this is melting like crazy in the Arctic, the North Pole. And white reflective snow, which reflects heat back into outer space, radiated heat from the sun and light which can produce heat. That ice and snow is being replaced with dark blue, almost black water that absorbs heat. And so the more ice goes away, you know, they thought this was going to be a linear process that was going to happen over the course of a century. Turns out it's a logarithmic process that's happening over a couple of decades. The Greenland ice sheet, if this thing goes, the world's oceans rise 20 feet. And it's losing a billion gallons a minute right now. I mean, it's, it's mind-boggling. Boreal forests, which would release more carbon dioxide than they absorb if they decay or burn this, by the way, from a piece by Bob Berwin from Inside Climate News. Boreal forests. Permafrost. I mentioned the permafrost uh, before that releases methane and other greenhouse gases as it basically thaws and then is subject to bacterial action. This is plant matter. Permafrost is plant matter that, in some cases, goes back thousands, tens of thousands of years that has stored carbon for all that time. The Atlantic Meridional overturning circulation. This is sometimes called the Great Conveyor Belt. This is what brings heat. It starts off the east coast of Africa and goes south of Africa and then comes up the east coast of the United States. We call it the Gulf Stream. And then it ends just off the coast of Greenland and England. And it's what brings heat to Europe. It's why Europe, which is at a latitude like Anchorage, actually has warm summers because of this heat. And if this thing shuts down, Europe is thrown into an ice age, which has happened before, by the way. Then there's the Amazon rainforest. It could flip from being a greenhouse gas absorber to a greenhouse gas emitter as it's burned and destroyed. There are the warm water corals that are dying in large scale all over the world. There's the West Antarctic ice sheet. This would add another 10 feet of sea level rise to the uh, oceans of the world if it goes. And then parts of the East Antarctic ice sheet is the last of these tipping points. And again, every one of these feeds into the others. We are in an emergency. 
and the entire Republican Party is pretending it doesn't even exist, and only a few of the Democrats are talking in language of emergency. Our media didn't even point out the disaster of what happened when this last climate change meeting happened because of the intransigence of the governments of four countries that are basically controlled by the fossil fuel industries. And the fossil fuel industries have been lying to us about this since the 1960s, which is when big coal realized that they were causing climate change. In the 1970s, when big oil scientists were saying, we're causing climate change, we're going to alter the fate and future of life on Earth. But Eugene in Columbus, Ohio. Hey, Eugene, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, regarding your query about whether we should use fear to motivate people to act on climate change, I think we have to, because think about it. Look at all our political ads. They're all negative ads, pretty much, and they motivate us on fear to vote against somebody. Yeah. You know, calling Bernie a communist. He's going to turn this country into a communist Russia, something like that. Venezuela. But and on the Bloomberg ad, which you've probably seen, doesn't even use Trump's name. At the end, it turns his body into black and white from color, mm -hmm. which indicates kind of his inhumanity. So again, it's a little bit of fear stuck in there at the end. Yeah. There are shades of this. Yeah, I mean, I mean what Andrew Romanoff, what his ad is suggesting is this terrible dystopia where the little girl and her family are dealing with the consequences of climate change, presumably, you know, 100 or more years in the future. And, you know, and what a disaster it is. And that's like really selling fear. On the other hand, in the middle of his ad, they play a whole montage of people being displaced as a result of far more violent than usual hurricanes and tornadoes, the wildfires in California. I mean, tell the people of Paradise, California, that it's not time to be afraid of climate change. You know, a, a bunch of them right. died. All of them lost their homes. Tell the people of the Midwest whose crops were wiped out and whose homes were destroyed by flooding that it's not time to talk about, oh my God. So at the same time though, you know, we need to keep a real steady focus. Eugene, thank you. Thank you for your comments. I think we need to keep a real steady focus on the upside, if we decarbonize rapidly, if we move to electric, you know, electric cars are so cool. They're, they really work well. Anyway, Susie in Vaughn, Washington. Hey, Susie, what's on your mind? Hi, I just wanted to say, listen to that tears streaming. That was gorgeous. Um, but I do think we need to shake people up. I'm tired of pussyfooting around things, you know, mm. and that's what we do. And this is a real thing. We can't have anything if we don't get this under control. There isn't going to be anything. We're not going to be able to take care of economics. We're not going to be able to get education. If we don't have an earth to live on, we're all dead. Yeah. But How do they not see this? Yeah, well, you know, what they're seeing is, is their profits over the next year. I mean, that's, that's literally what's happening truth. with the fossil fuel industry. Right. Yeah, yeah. inconvenient truth. Wasn't that 100 years ago and nailed it on the head? Yeah. It's so true. Go. But anyhow, I say scare the living bleep out of them, honestly. I, I'm doing it. <laughs> okay. All right, Susie, thank you. Thank you for the call. Warren in Missouri City, Texas. Hey, Warren, what's on your mind? I want to say hello from Libertarian Hell down here in Texas. Okay. Uh, this argument, I've had this argument with both Republican family members and Democratic family members. And with my Republican family members, he literally said, if the Gulf moves another 30 miles in, it's just closer to my house and the beach is better. Mm -hmm. And I looked at him and I said, that's fine until you get a king tide twice a month and it comes in your back door. 
What about the 30 million people who were just displaced on the seacoast who are now living in your backyard? You got to remember, we're Republicans. They don't get logic. Uh, logic. There you go. Thank you. Science, math. The, I get yeah, it. all of this stuff. But my Democratic nephew made the comment, well, you know, with the climate change, we're just prepared to move out into the woods and take our two young children and teach them to live off the land. And my comment to him was, that's great. Are you going to get her genetically engineered to sustain a high methane atmosphere? Right. Right. And, of course, and even though this guy works at a college, and as a college graduate, he goes, what are you talking about? I said, look it up. These people need to get engaged. Yeah. I, it's going to take fear to do that. I agree. I really think that it's going to take both and that we've been very, very careful not to use fear up to this point. Warren, thank you for the call. Leo DiCaprio and I did a, a, a short video. If you go over to YouTube and put in DiCaprio, Hartman, last hours, those four words, you will be able to see it. It's only 10 minutes long and it's very scary. And we got a lot of criticism for that. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. On the other hand, a lot of people were like, whoa, this is really good stuff. You know, then we made three more that were more hopeful that we kind of attached to it. You can see them all at GreenWorldRising.org. Susan in Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Susan, what's on your mind? Hi, Tom. I'm a member of Don't Waste Arizona, and that's an environmental group, which Mm -hmm. I used to live in a Superfund site. And with that, I've learned that this needs to be researched. The fact that seaweed added to cows' diet actually cuts down on the methane that they excrete. Yeah, well, well, pretty much any kind of fibrous, I mean, cows are designed to eat grass. And, Mm -hmm. you know, high amounts of fiber and very, very low amounts of carbohydrate. And instead, you know, with factory farming, we feed them high levels of carbohydrate, principally in corn or soybeans, and low levels of fiber. And, the, and then you add antibiotics to that, and the result is, is a terrible mess and massive methane production. And, you know, we, need to, we absolutely need to change our agriculture. Guys, yeah. Susan, thank you for the call. Oz in Cincinnati, Ohio. Hey, Oz, what's up? Hey, Tom, long-time listener, first-time caller. Thank you. So I can tell you I experienced direct effects from the climate change disasters in California because uh-huh. I had to uh, evacuate from the uh, multiple wildfires. Wow. That's how you and, ended up in and, Ohio? Well, I'm originally from here, but I moved out there eight years ago, and I lived in Shasta County, and I'm a arborist and a forester. Mm-hmm. But I just got tired dealing with it. Yeah. You also can see what and understand what's happening to the forests out there. I mean, not only are they drying out and, and turning into kindling, but they're also being attacked by insects. Oh, absolutely. And that, that's happening here, too. Right. And, um, that's, and that's because of climate change. It's because the atmosphere is altered in such a way that it's weakening the tree's immune systems, essentially. Yeah, for sure. But I, I saw that at one point during the car fire in Redding, there was like a, a fire tornado that Mm-hmm. stretched into the sky i mean it was something out of like it was an apocalyptic scene it was picking up vehicles and causing them to combust as it's tossing them ripping through the, the valley there it's the local yeah. firefighter said they had never never seen anything like it yeah we're hitting all these you know never seen it before moments you know or once in a thousand years moments are happening once every two or three years for sure but i was curious if there's any way we take advantage of what's going on with these with the melting uh, ice and harness that with tidal and hydroelectric turbines no because um, it's too chaotic a system it's not like suddenly 
There's this one specific river coming out of the Greenland glaciers that you can build a dam around and throw some turbines into. It's just, you know, you've got these massive ice shelves, the, the ice sheet on Greenland and the ice sheets, actually these are sheets, these are on top of land. The ice is in some cases as much as a mile thick down in Antarctica. And they're just randomly melting all over the place. Right. You know. Well, you know, another issue that you don't hear candidates really talk about that affects a lot of people, especially the underclass, is the poor public transportation system and the uh, dependency on individual auto ownership that yep. the interstate system created when it was built instead yep. of creating a high-speed rail and interconnecting people closer that way. I mean... Yeah, and there are, there are some cities now. There one city just uh, did this a couple of weeks ago. Portland is debating doing it. We did it a couple of years ago, and then we backed away from the experiment, which is making public transportation free. Right. To basically we encourage people to get out of their cars. I mean, Portland Portland's not unique in this. Uh, you know, when Louise and I moved to uh, Atlanta in the 1980s, when we first moved there, the city had just hit 2 million people. 10 years later, 12 years later, when we moved out, the city was at three and a half million. It was a continual traffic jam. Now Portland's a continual traffic jam. I mean, it's just happening in right. cities all over America. So cities are trying to figure out ways to get people out of their cars and free public yeah, transportation. Yeah, I mean, if I had access to better um, transportation, more efficient public transportation, I'd use it yeah. instead of driving. Yeah, there you go. Oz, thanks for the call. Great to hear from you. I appreciate you watching us on YouTube. Karen in Cripple Creek, Colorado. Hey, Karen, what's on your mind? I've had a business installing solar systems for remote homes for the last 25 years, so I've seen a lot of changes in the industry and whatnot. Again, I live right outside of Colorado Springs there, so that ad was very powerful. Thanks for bringing it to my attention. I think the scare tactic is worthwhile because right now people aren't paying attention to it, and I know Australia is supposed to have record high temperatures of like 122 degrees. It's their summer now, yeah. And they're having horrible wildfires that are coming right up to the edge of Sydney. Right, no, I guess they're trying to fight one uh, to protect a coal-fired plant and protect all the coal that's stored there to keep it from burning up, which ironic is all get out, that their prime minister doesn't believe in climate change at all, so that's a sad situation. But I think that the ad was really well done, and I think it is important to get it done, because if people aren't waking up now, it'll be too late with the feedback loop and all that just on our doorstep. If folks don't wake up now and say, we've got to change now, not 10 years in the future, then we'll be doomed. I think we'll need to hit rock bottom before any change is made, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and, and tragically hitting rock bottom for the entire planet and the entire planet's atmospheric systems could mean the loss of huge chunks of life on Earth, including us. Karen, yeah. I'm curious, you live in Colorado. You're the first person who's called from Colorado. And I don't know anything about Andrew Romanoff other than this article that I read. He's a former state legislator. Is he well-known in Colorado? Is, does he have a chance in this primary? His, his name is familiar. I think Hickenlooper has a bigger name recognition. And it's funny, I know more about national news than I do even about my own state. But, yeah, Romanoff has been on the political scene for many years. Okay. Well, that's good. Okay. Thank well, you very much, Karen. Good to hear from thank you. you. Thank Appreciate you for the information. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Lou in Pueblo, Colorado. Hey, Lou, same question to you about Andrew Romanoff. What do you think? Since uh, it's your state. I think he has. Well, I think that anyone can be Cory Gardner. But I think Romanoff's a good choice. Yeah. Do you think that he's going to be able to, I mean, Hickenlooper, and this is not a put down of Hickenlooper at all. You know, I believe that he's supportive of climate change issues also. He's got a big name. Your thoughts, Luke? Yeah, I think probably, I'll take either one. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, Uh, there you go. As a side note, I was working at the National Bureau of Standards in 1980, summer job, 
when the flight came back, the NOAA flight that had found the first hole in the ozone. Oh, they wow. had a big party, bought us all beer, and they said, they can't ignore it now. They have to make Freon illegal. As far as I know, uh, Freon was finally taken off the market in 2016, 26 years later. Wow. Uh, but, yeah. but, what, but what I was going to say, I, I'm involved in the power industry, and I get the magazines from the, uh, you know, the trade journals, which are basically advertisement by the people that sell equipment, you know, power plants and so on. Sure. Then I get the engineering because I'm a member of IEEE and the engineering magazines, which are, you know, how are we going to do this in the future? Mm-hmm. And the trade journals are all about, oh, well, we have to stick with nuclear and coal, but we need more nuclear because, you know, it's clean and all this. But when you read the professional journals, the IEEE, it's CEO after CEO saying we're getting rid of all fossil fuels and going to 100% renewable because it's cheaper. It's gone to scale, and it's done it just in the last decade and a half or so, where both wind and solar are now cheaper than any other form of electricity generation. And if you include waste disposal costs, nuclear is the most expensive. Yeah, and, and what people don't talk about, you know what power factor is? No, I don't. Okay, power factor is the... De- the, the out of phase between your 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 voltage and your current, it's how much of your electricity is just creating heat. Okay. And uh, so is that sorry. like line losses? And I read once exactly. uh, years ago, seventeen percent of all electricity in the United States is lost in line losses. With a wind generator, even when it's not turning, you can use the electronics to create the opposite of the line losses and cancel them out. So a power line from, let's say, Denver to the top of the Rocky Mountains, they can set a wind generator at the top of the Rocky Mountains and get 17% free without it even rotating. How does that work? Well, what happens is you're, you're uh, like an electric motor is inductive. The voltage is a little bit out of phase. Fluorescent lights are capacitive, so the electricity is a little bit out of phase. What you do is you measure it up at the top of the mountain, and then you say, all right, whatever, if I'm leading or lagging here, I'm going to inject the exact opposite waveform and cancel that out and make everything lined up 100%. Wow, it's just like noise-canceling headphones. Exactly the same thing. Exactly, yeah. Only you're lining them up instead of getting rid of it. Right, you know? right, right. Yeah, and it, what they're doing, they're able to do two things. One, they can double the number of users on that power line without replacing the power line, get rid of a lot of losses, quit burning as much to heat the wires. And number two, in an ice storm, they can make it much worse and heat the wires and melt Whoa. the ice off the wires. Whoa. It's really cool. And you do all this by, by just altering the phase and the waveform, basically the voltage and the current? Yeah, imagine you took a welding machine, hooked it up to your car battery, then you cranked it. Up, down, up, down, the noise would change, but your battery would still be 12 volts. Right. You know, and that's basically what they're doing. They're charging or discharging the power lines to make them more efficient. As an old uh, ham radio operator and electrical engineering was what I was studying when I flunked out of college. <laughs> I actually got kicked out. VSWR. Uh, yeah. It's VSWR. Same thing. VSW. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Lou. Okay. I got it. Great talking to you and appreciate the insights. Sponsoring the interview this week is New Leaf Natural CBD Oil. Boy, with all this impeachment stuff and Trump treason flying around, you know, I have been doubling my CBD oil dose. I love CBD oil. It doesn't get you high. 
It, but it, and it's non-toxic, but it's a potent pain reliever and anti, or it has potent pain relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. I think it's the proper way to say that. And the brand I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. NU Leaf Naturals CBD oil is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic, highly concentrated, has no additional additives, grown in the USA, and the only ingredient is hemp. So the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com. That's newleafnaturals.com and save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM. It's spelled T-H-O-M. Go to newleafnaturals.com. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. That's newleafnaturals.com. That's newleafnaturals.com. Code TOM. It's spelled T-H-O-M. newleafnaturals.com. Steve in Salem, Oregon. Hey, Steve, what's up? I learned a lesson when I was in sixth grade, this is the early 60s, that building an experiment to show how we deplete all our resources and expend all our waste, eventually we're all going to die. Yeah. And that taught me a great lesson about the future mm-hmm. of our planet. You put into a glass jar a male and a female fruit fly with unlimited resources to eat, and eventually they multiply and extend waste, and pretty much they all die. You know, in a closed system. Yeah, I mean, with this, it, people people system. don't get it that Earth is essentially a giant terrarium, and and that you know we need to uh, be thinking of it in those terms. Steve, thank you. Excellent point. Nicholas in Seattle. Hey, Nicholas, what's up? Uh, well, I just read uh, not too long ago about a big algae bloom in Greenland, mm-hmm. and. I've been uh, doing some work online trying to get people to farm plankton. And I don't know if anybody on the East Coast farms plankton, but I think that there's got to be a lack of plankton in the ocean. Yeah. All this in, uh, in that documentary that uh, Lila Connors and Leo DiCaprio did, that, that I played a role in putting it together and I'm in it, it's titled Ice on Fire. There is a whole segment in there where we're interviewing a guy who farms kelp. And it's uh, extraordinarily efficient at grabbing carbon out of the ocean. And also, it's a good food source. That small circle of life, that small little plankton animal in the circle of life, it feeds whales, fish eat it. They're not fishing for cod anymore in the Gulf. And I've heard that Oregon State University has some uh, plankton farms in the east of Oregon. So is, is, pl- all- is plankton, pardon my interrupting, is, is plankton an animal as opposed to, is this the, like, krill, the, the little tiny animals, or are you talking about, because uh, I thought you mentioned algae before, which is a plant. Well, plankton eats algae, whales eat the plankton, fish eat plankton, krill eats plankton. It's huh. one of the most key pieces of life in the ocean. But it's animal life, not plant life. Yeah, it's a protein. It's an animal, basically... Super tiny animal. It's it's an exoskeleton. It's one step above algae Mm -hmm. in the food chain. Exxon Mobile, they have these biofuel algae farms, and they're, Mm -hmm. they're using the algae to create some type of energy fuel that you can use in airplanes or something. Yeah, they're advertising that. I'm guessing that they're spending more money on the ads than they are on the biofuel. (laughs) Bob in Asheville, North Carolina. Hey, Bob, you wanted to tell me about plankton? I'm a retired forestry educator, and we were teaching our students, and this is 
2012 data. Mm-hmm. But phytoplankton is plant plankton, and there's a zooplankton that's animal. Ah. Phytoplankton, phytoplankton is photosynthetic, and it makes up, actually generates over 50% of the oxygen that we have from fresh water and oceans. Whoa. And we are poisoning those water sources and in turn killing uh, masses of amounts of phytoplankton. It's single cellular and they're all photosynthetic. Mm-hmm. So we're destroying what generates our oxygen, a lot of it, as well as what takes carbon in through the photosynthetic process. So with oil spills, radioactive waste, and everything else that we're putting in our waterways, and the deregulations, all our pollutions head straight to our waterways. Yeah, we're destroying our life source right in front of our face here. And, uh, that's that's astonishing. Our situation. Yeah. Uh, Thank thanks you. Thanks a lot for what you do. You're welcome. Thanks for the call, Tom in Seal Beach, California. Hey, Tom, what's on your mind today? Well, I've got an answer for the uh, earlier caller that was worried about uh, other countries not matching our efforts in climate change. Although our efforts have uh, somewhat collapsed, but yeah, go ahead. The Energy Innovation Carbon Dividend Act, that's H.R. 763, was introduced last January. It's now got 75 co-sponsors, including a Republican. Mm -hmm. And what it does is it puts a price on carbon. It's estimated to reduce emissions by at least 36 percent in 10 years and by 90 percent by 2050. And what it does is it prices carbon when it comes out of the ground domestically. Mm-hmm. Now, if a country wants to sell it overseas, they're refunded that. So we're not going to uh, disadvantage our domestic producers. But if a foreign country wants to ship either fossil fuels or carbon-intensive products into the U.S., they have to pay the same carbon price that we do. Mm-hmm. So uh, other countries can either do that by instituting their own price on carbon or paying the U.S. Right. So there's a strong incentive to keep the money in their own country to have their own carbon pricing program. I'm guessing there's not a single Republican on this bill. There is one so far. Really? And, uh, Who's that? You know, there's 27 Nobel laureate uh, economists support the uh, the program. Who's the Republican who's voting in favor of it or who is uh, co-sponsoring uh, it? Francis Rooney. Huh? Where is he, uh, he would, from? Florida, I believe. That's interesting. Okay. And uh, the whole bill puts things pretty much on autopilot. It returns all the money collected to every individual living in the country. Hmm. Remarkable. So okay, it I'm... doesn't grow the government. Yeah. And two-thirds of our people will actually save money. Okay. Only the richest third of us will pay a little bit. Okay. Sounds like a good thing. Tom, thanks a lot for the call. Ronnie in Mesquite, Nevada. Hey, Ronnie, what's up? This thing may have started with the first human that built a fire, or it may have started with the Industrial Revolution, which was, what was that, 100 years ago or something like that? Well, there's a qualitative difference between the two. If you're burning wood, you're putting carbon dioxide into the air that that tree took out of the air just 100 years earlier. So it's a cycle. That's renewable. That's sustainable. But if you're burning coal or oil or gas, you're burning, you're releasing in the atmosphere carbon dioxide that was taken out of the atmosphere literally millions to hundreds of millions 
millions of years ago by plants and it has been sequestered in the earth for hundreds of millions of years stabilizing our planet's atmosphere and that's not sustainable so the era of fossil fuels yes they were mining coal in parts of europe and, and what's now called russia a thousand years ago but the use was insignificant the real okay. use of fossil fuels started in a big way between 1820 and 1860. Okay, so this has been building since 1820. That's why, that's why they go back to 1850. You know, when they say at the beginning of industrialization, the 1850 is the beginning point for measuring climate change. Okay, so let's say 1850. That's 170 years ago. Yeah. My point is this, Tom. I think I'm a probably 90% believer we're in a climate disaster, and I'm probably 80 simple percent believer that it's human cause. I don't have the answers, but I think it's like an avalanche. I think it's already begun, and I don't think anything that we do today is going to have an effect on it. We're just going to have to... Oh, I strongly, I strongly disagree, Ronnie. I strongly. We are, we are pouring, we are pouring carbon into the atmosphere right now at multiples of what we were just three decades ago. We need to stop banging ourselves in the head as we're complaining about the headache. Ronnie, thanks for the call. Mick in Seattle. Hey, Mick, what's up? I was thinking that the film On the Beach comes to mind when you want to cause fear because oh, that that's, that's the, the movie about age. a nuclear war that basically ends civilization on Earth, as I recall. Actually, the book by um, Neville Shute mm-hmm. does say that, but in the movie, the film hints that global annihilation may have arisen from accident or misjudgment. Uh-huh. And that's what scared me because I was wondering. If fear is going to work, especially with the media being what it is today, it would definitely send a message. It sure did me when I was little and made us hide underneath the desk because it was, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis and yeah, all that. Oh, they used, they used fear for the better part of 40 years. Uh, yeah, thank you. You know, to thank scare you. the bejesus out of us over the Russians or the Soviets, so they were called back exactly then. Exactly my point. Mick, thanks a lot for the call. Lori in Castle Pines, Colorado. Hey, Lori, what's on your mind today? I just wanted to call in about Andrew Romanoff. I know you talked about his ad. I was just blown away by that ad today. Yeah. And to be upfront, I am an Andrew Romanoff supporter. Mm -hmm. So I just encourage everybody to listen to it and also to say that Andrew will be running against Hickenlooper. Mm -hmm. And Hickenlooper is very pro-fracking. Oh, I didn't know that. He's your ex-governor, right? Yes. Okay. In fact, he drank some of the fracking water on video. So oh, yeah, that's in, that's in uh, Romanoff's ad. Yes, yes, he actually I did saw that. Corey Gardner in the ad. I didn't recognize Hickenlooper. I just, you know, I don't live in Colorado. I, I remember when he was flirting with running for president, but I didn't pay that much attention to it. Right. Well, and then the, just to, to plug Andrew a little bit more, he was the very first to announce his candidacy. He's been to every county in the state multiple times. He has multiple, multiple meet and greets every week. And Hickenlooper is just, he's there because he didn't do well in the presidential campaign Mm -hmm. and made it very clear from the beginning that he even said, I don't want to be a senator. But Um, now he does want to. But now he does, and he's got the backing of the DSCC. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. The Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee has officially endorsed him or is there's Yeah. No, they have. They have. Wow. Who's in charge of that? Is that Schumer or is that wouldn't be Schumer? I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't actually know that. But anyway, for people in Colorado, please send some money to Andrew. He's doing this all. He takes no money from big corporations. It's Mm. all a grassroots movement. Okay. 
Great. Lori, thanks for the heads up on all that, and I appreciate the call. Kathy in Chicago. Hey, Kathy, what's up? The soil is the skin of our planet, mm. and it needs to be sponge-like with carbon just to hold the water right. from, to prevent from flooding. When I was a little girl, my dad used a spoon to go de-weed all the crops. And then I remember the day the Pizer truck first pulled up and told my dad that we wouldn't have to farm like that anymore and gave us six months free of chemicals. And that was 50 years ago. And today we have less than 2% organic matter in our soil. About 10 years ago, I developed a method that takes large volumes of industrial-scale food waste and it converts it quickly into a nitrogen-fixing bacteria where the microbes, once they hit the soil, they start to absorb the atmospheric carbon and, to your point, to decarbonize the atmosphere Mm -hmm. and put it back where it belongs, where it needs to be to hold the water. Yeah, this is powerful stuff. So uh, how do we learn more about your what your invention here, Kathy? I had an epiphany one morning 10 years ago when I was leaving corporate America to do something sustainable and green, even though 10 years ago nobody even was talking about this. And I started a company called FeedEarthNow.com. So it's feed, like feed, F, F as in Frank. Right. It was like the planet now dot com. So there's a lot of information on there and I just know that I mean this has been proven it works overnight. And mm. if we could just install these processes in little substations wherever there's recycling plants, mm-hmm. food waste recycling plants, it uses a hundred percent of the food scraps. Yeah, and there's so an enormous amount of wasted food. food in America right now. It's, Without think, generating additional methane as well, it doesn't yeah. create gases. Oh, that's that's great, Kathy. Thanks for the heads up on that. It sounds sounds wonderful. Dwayne in Lincolnville, Kansas. Hey, Dwayne, what's on your mind today? My sister is a Trump supporter, and I talked to her about climate change, mm-hmm. and she is like a deer caught in the headlights. She knows that it's coming, but she doesn't think there's anything she can do but do the same thing she's always been doing. Aren't you in Kansas getting whacked by climate change? Is that Are you in the part of the United States that got all the flooding over the last year or two? Oh, yes, yes. We got, we got a lot of flooding here. Mm-hmm. And the way the uh, jet stream's going, it's either drought or flooding. Yeah, yeah. One or the other. Using fear to promote climate change, I don't think that is going to work. Give people hope. Mm-hmm. Give them a direction. And that'd be a lot better than trying to instill fear. Okay. I think that we need both, but I, uh, I understand your point, uh, Dwayne, and there's a lot of truth to it. It's the direction that a lot of climate scientists are pushing us in. Others are starting to peel off and go, oh my God, oh my God. 3% of the scientists don't agree with climate change. No, that's not true any they longer. They obviously work for the uh, power companies. It was never even claimed to be 3%. The claim used to be 1%, and now there's not even 1%. You have about a dozen guys who used to advocate for the tobacco industry, and before that they were advocating for the chemistry industry, and now they're advocating for the fossil fuel industry, and nobody considers them even legitimate scientists any longer. Lori in Marie Hill, Missouri. This whole broadcast today has been a revelation to me because I have been an ecologist since 1971 when I had 
a class at Santa Rosa Junior College in population explosion mm-hmm. in the world. And I have lived the ecology life for 50 years. And I think that education, your programming has been today has been extremely educational for me and my concept. Thank you. Thank you. We need about 10 of you out there on the airwaves right now. We have to activate. Yeah. The young people are our only hope. Thanks a lot, Laurie. I appreciate it. Mark in Denver. Hey, Mark, what's on your mind today? Yeah, hey, Tom. I think the uh, fear tactic stuff for the climate change is a really good thing, but I also think it'd be great to make this about performance, cost savings, how it simplifies your life and stuff like that when it comes to electric vehicles. I have a Tesla Model 3. I put 30,000 miles on it in one year. Cost me about a third of the price of gas, and it's about as fast as a Corvette, and there's almost zero maintenance. And of course, zero emissions. I totally agree. Mark, thanks a lot for the call. Lydia in Port Angeles, Washington. Hey, Lydia, what's on your mind today? Hi. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to be able to listen to you when I can, and uh, the people that call in, such good ideas. My um, compliments to the guy calling from the East Coast about plankton and the importance of plankton. And the ecology movement, the other woman just was talking about starting way back when. Mm-hmm. I was boarding school student with a memo board in the early 80s with a thing on the top that said, where would we be without plankton? And, you know, they're the basis of food chain. And here I am now on the West Coast looking at this declining population of southern resident killer whales and just thinking there's so much connection from plankton that what inspired me to study marine science, just the diatoms, mm. and then all the way up to the killer whales and the eagles, which they feed, you know, bringing all the minerals, as salmon come up the river, bringing all the minerals from these plants into the forest ecosystem, and they're being so harmed by ocean acidification, and then all these plastic bits that animals in the sea are mistaking as plankton and eating that yeah. stuff no, and it's poisoning. A, it's, yeah, it's, it's a terrible situation and we, we have to do something about it. Lydia, thank you for the call and thanks for sharing our collective concern. So many things you can do, so many great groups you can support. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 